0: Welcome aboard Imagination Skyway, your grand podcast tour of the magic. I'm your host, Matthew Kroll, and in today's episode, we are going to close out our two-part discussion about the music of Pixar's early years, which includes all the Pixar films between 1995 and 2009. If you didn't listen to part one, be sure to head back to our previous episode where we discuss the history of Pixar and the music from the first four Pixar films, which include Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, and Monsters, Inc. In this second part, we are going to turn our attention to the music from the next six Pixar films, Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wall-E, and Up. As well as our final thoughts about the music of pixar's early years it's a fun and sometimes emotional discussion that i hope you enjoy listening to as much as mike and i enjoyed recording it at the end of the show we'll return to imagination central where i'll share ways in which you can stay connected with imagination skyway how you can discuss this topic with others and how you can help support and inspire the future of this show please remain seated Keep your hands and arms inside the podcast at all times and enjoy your grand circle tour aboard Imagination Skyway. Guess what, Mike? We are taking a Randy Newman intermission. Are um, I know, but we are we are not going far from the Newman family because we yeah. talk about his cousin Thomas Newman now. <laughs> yes, the Pixar earlier years are just so much fun because there's so much so much Newman family. Um, but Finding Nemo. Uh, is the next film. Oh, you know, I forgot to mention the directors. Toy Story 2 is directed by John Lasseter, Lee Unkrich, and Ash Brannon. It's important because Lee's going to make an appearance later. Monsters, Inc. directed by Pete Docter, David Silverman, and Lee Unkrich. Pete Docter's important because he makes an appointment later, an appearance later. And Finding Nemo, I mentioned Andrew Stanton earlier um, with A Bug's Life. He is the director for Finding Nemo alongside Lee Unkrich. So now we have, and this is what I love, is seeing the directors, and so I wanted to mention it, the directors at Pixar early years, they are almost mentored by an experienced Pixar director, and then they become the mentors, and it's still a tradition that's happening. You still see these Pixar directors who at one point were co-directors with a more experienced Pixar director, now becoming the more experienced Pixar directors. Um, so that's that's just like an exciting tradition with Pixar, that I love to see. Um, and one of my favorites is Peter Sohn being the director for Elemental. Like, he's another one in modern Pixar times. Like, he started out kind of as a, you know, and I don't want to call him an amateur, but, you know, he was working his way up in Pixar Animation Studios and now he directed Elemental. And this tradition is, I hope, going to continue. It's just a fun little tradition to keep the spirit of Pixar alive. Um, so. That's what I
1: agree. It, only, it keeps the tradition alive, but also, too, it keeps, I think, that level of integrity in the films as well, because they they are you know, they, they come, you know, they, they, they go up the chain. They respect the, you know, they respect all everyone that's involved in the film because of that reason and being mentored to, to bring up to that position and giving everyone a chance to, to be able to tell the story that they want to tell, I think is so important. So it's something that I've always admired. I would, even, as, you know, we're talking about the earlier days of Pixar where a number of the major players that involved all had, you know, they all had a chance at some point in time to direct their own film.
0: Yeah. It's incredible. So Thomas Newman might be Randy's cousin, but man, his sound is very different.
1: It's very different. And he is just as accomplished if for very different reasons. Uh, I would say arguably you know, almost equivalent to Randy Newman in, in many ways. Um More so when it comes to composition, actually. So Thomas Newman, again, also like, you know, early age, you know, his mom would take them to to violin lessons, like, you know, constantly. Like, again, very, very much a musical family through and through. But Thomas Newman, before he uh, did the music for Finding Nemo, he did films such as, oh, I don't know, The Shawshank Redemption. He also has done The Horse Whisperer, American Beauty, The Green Mile. And uh, he's actually been nominated 15 times. For an Academy Award and has won six Grammys.
0: So, and, also very accomplished. And that's why, not because of the number of nominations and, and wins, but you mentioned all those films you mentioned are dramatic films, uh, drama yes. films. And that's why I think Andrew Stanton and Leon Crich picked Thomas Newman to develop the Finding Nemo score, because this is a dramatic film. Um, it is.
1: And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very different. I would say, argue to say that Finding Nemo was a very different take on on Pixar stories up until this point, right? Because you know, think about Toy Story, Toy Story Two, Monsters Inc., and A Bug's Life. They're they're very fun films, right? Yes. They're very fun films. They're very, um, in many ways, very buddy films. In in m- many ways too, where, you know, where Finding Nemo, okay, also I would argue to say is kind of, also kind of a buddy film, but at the same token, though, is a very different take you know definitely a very very different uh style if you will in comparison to
0: the others yeah and there's only one lyrical song in here and it's in the end credits which is beyond the sea um a very classic song not written by thomas newman but it's performed by robbie williams um other than and i can't even call it you know it's not an original song developed for finding Nemo, but it's uh the only lyrical song that's Technically, in the film, in the it's a cover
1: by Robbie Williams. I will say this too. Fun fact: there is a Navajo version of this song because I guess they did a a Navajo version of Finding Nemo, and that is sung by Patrick Stump from
2: Fall Out (laughs) Boy.
0: oh very interesting right? i to go and listen to that one
1: why i have <laughs> no idea it was such a random fact that i found i'm like patrick stump did a navajo version like it was so it was so out of you know, like it was so odd and i have no idea how or why but this so funny because uh, ironic because Patrick some is not the first time that he's been involved with Disney music from Fallout Boy. So of course we're talking about Big Hero Six here. But mm-hmm. um, but I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, I did not know that. I didn't. I didn't look at that. That you went deep. I didn't see that. There were um, some
1: areas I went really deep. There were some really fun areas. But that was definitely one of those uh, deep cuts that I discovered that was really interesting.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, this score was nominated for an academy award for best original score it did not win it did win an annie award for outstanding music and an animated feature production so it did actually receive some uh you know relatively big award uh i don't know how deep you went into the score mike i i i did um but i don't know if there's any song from the score that's memorable for you. Or if there's anything about the sound in general, I know I generally am the one that goes more into the particular songs from the score. Which is
1: kind of ironic. We were actually talking right before getting this interview, because I'm in the industry, so I, I look at more about, as you can tell, you know, the people that are involved in the production behind the things like those are things I'm actually like really interested in. Of course, the music to it, uh, you know, I'm in the music industry, but I, I find those things fascinating as well it, it, for me. I mean, it's just a beautiful score through and through uh, I, nothing in particular on this one that really stood out to me specifically. Um, but, you know, it's it's just a beautiful score uh, just from from start to finish. You know, it just if it's the mood so perfectly. And yeah, so I, was there any in particular that stood out for you?
0: I have six, Mike. I have six. Have six. I, six. I have six. You're, it's you're actually,
1: showing me up here.
0: <laughs> it's there's a there's a long list. I'm not gonna maybe bore the listeners who don't care as much as I do is <laughs> about some of this music, but um, I will. I'll I'll mention the six, but then I'll maybe just play clips from a couple of them. Um, so one, I think the most iconic from this movie is Nemo Egg, which is the main title, mm-hmm. and this sequence. Ah, so heartbreaking especially now that i am a dad um the sequence sits me very differently now um not that it, i think anyone whether you're a parent or not cries at the beginning of finding nemo but um the whole like you know there their daddy's got you i'm enough, just talking thinking about it especially something traumatic like that. And it, it sets the origin story for, you can see that Marlon always had insecurities and was always timid, but now you pile on top of that, a very traumatic incident like that, you know, have um, anxiety on top of PTSD and what that does for a new dad who now has to raise a son by himself. Like that's, that's a very profound way to start a film. Um, but besides the heartbreaking sequence, the song itself is actually a very beautiful melody, um, and it's very peaceful and tranquil. So it's not, it, it fits without being overly dramatic. And that's something I really like about Nemo Egg. Um, it's just a, just a beautiful piece. Um, the other one to kind of counter that, that I will play a clip for is Field Trip, which is when... Mm-hmm. the class is taking the field trip it's bright and hopeful it's nemo discovering the world and the music you get that feeling from it it's just very optimistic and look at me discovering the world for the first time um outside of my anemone So that's another song I like um, that I'll play for you. Some. Make sure you don't touch the butt. Don't touch the butt. Uh, some honorable mentions. This one is not necessarily a favorite, but I thought it was kind of funny. Foolproof, which is when um, Gil talks about his plan to get the fish out of the tank, mm-hmm. is that's a fun. spoof on the Mission Impossible theme when you listen to it. That's,
1: it is. That's true.
0: It is. So I'm a Mission Impossible fan. So I, I, uh, I'm very disappointed that the last film is going to be delayed here. by the way, but <laughs> it's a totally separate matter. Um, the Little Clownfish from the Reef is sort of a happier version of Nemo Egg. Um, it's, it's sort of representing the joy that Nemo has hearing about his dad's bravery. Haiku, um, which is just a very like beautiful atmospheric piece. I can almost fall asleep to it. And fronds Like These, which is the filling, like fulfilling conclusion music to the film. Um, so those are my favorites, but I will only, like I said, played a couple of clips. I'll let the listeners go and add the others to their playlists or their cues. Um, and the only other fun fact I have about this one is that Andrew Stanton, who is the director on the film is the voice of crush. And that's not the last time that's going to come up.
1: Wow. I did not know that. That's really, that's really cool.
0: That is not the last time it's going to come up.
1: You know, it be fun, uh, okay, if, if anybody in Disney is listening right now, randomly have Andrew Sandin show up and do Crush's Talk.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Which is another attraction that's Pixar, mm-hmm. as well as the Finding Nemo musical. That's which right.
0: has an original song in there. That's right. And not written by Thomas Newman, not written by... Randy Newman, written by a couple of composers you might know from films like Frozen and Frozen Two. That's true. I didn't know about that one. Yes. We talked about that in the music of the Disney Revival era. We did.
1: We did. I remember um, homework sometimes.
0: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Matt Studies. Um Mike Studies. We do. We study for these episodes. Um all right. I mentioned it would not be the last time that a director voices a character from a film and boy am I excited to talk about number 6 um The Incredibles which came out in 2004 uh directed by Brad Bird um one of my his... favorite directors by the way mhm a fantastic on my, on my director and he voiced Edna Mode in the film That's
1: right I didn't know that too I did yeah. know that he, he did voice Edna
0: um but man it took us 6 films to not talk about the newmans (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's true yeah Yeah. but there's going to be quite a bit of michael giacchino here at the end of the early pixar years and he was brought on for the incredibles and it was a perfect pick um i don't think randy or thomas would give the incredibles the same vibe as michael giacchino which by the way, it took me a very long time to pronounce his name correctly. Um, cause I it, pronounced it so many, so many different ways. It I is
1: pronounced a Giacchino, but it's,
0: it's Giacchino,
1: Giacchino. Michael Giacchino.
0: Sense.
1: Yeah. Is, that's, is that Italian? It is. It is Italian. So Giacchino, that makes Giacchino. a lot of sense. So I'm going to have to say it pronounced because also one of my favorite composers. So
0: yeah, I, I better get his name right. Cause I've said that same thing, but I pronounced his name two different ways, not knowing, but I, this time actually went and researched, I did my own research, um, to the right sources, which generally also includes finding a clip from a professionally done broadcast interview where the announcer introduces that person's name. Are they always right? No, but generally
1: they're the, usually be correct. You yeah. you want to find it where he's saying his or where he's actually saying, saying his, his own,
0: own name. name. Yeah. That's the only it's way harder to find.
1: Understand. It's harder to find,
0: right? I'm Michael Giacchino, and this is my interview. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um Mike, have you done any research about Michael Chicchino's background
1: I have actually um, all right let's hear so it. I, I I did a little bit of brief because he, he has a also extensive so I I actually decided to focus this one a little bit but I'm going to do um a little bit of a take because it kind of goes full circle is that he uh, originally worked with JJ Abrams on the show's both alias as well as lost which um you know which again if you I' never watched alias but I'm a big fan a lost fan so um even even to the day, I still enjoy it. And um, which fun fact is that um, uh, some of the uh, soundtrack for a Lost, he actually used sounds from uh, the, uh, from, uh, from the plane fuselage actually is incorporated into, it, which I just found oh. out about, which I would have to go back and, and listen to. So like very, very creative and brilliant from even, um, you know, from, you know, way back then. But uh, the very first bit uh, feature film, like big feature film that he's got a commission for was the incredibles, which I, you know, didn't even think about, but that was his, that was really his, his first, you know, big break into, you know, large feature films was, was the incredibles. And which makes sense because it was interesting that, um, You know, he you can tell, like, even from the Credibles, they wanted him on board because they wanted to have this like jazz, you know, this kind of like jazz swing from like kind of represented the era that that the Credibles was in. And originally, though, they were going to have John Barry. They asked him to do the soundtrack for it. But he and he he was a composer for a lot of the James Bond films back in the day. But he didn't want to write something that was like that. Like he he already did that. So he didn't want to necessarily do it again. So that's why they went to Michael Giacchino for that reason. And so if you think about it, a lot of his film scores since then have that very similar feel, that 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 kind of upbeat swing. And that was from from the Credibles that I can, kind of went back to. So, um, you know, found that really interesting. Some other things, some fun facts about um, in addition to Michael G- uh, G- Giacchino that I really appreciated. Um, of course, we talked about this before, but he did the soundtracks for uh, the new versions of Space Mountain, um, as well as, which I didn't know this, the travelogue videos for Star Tours The Adventures Continue. So when you're on the queue line and you have the, uh, you know, be, be, uh, visit the beautiful planet of Alderaan, you know, you know that the music that's playing in the background was also Michael Giacchino.
0: Very interesting.
1: In addition to that, uh, in we were talking about uh, cameos before. Michael Cicchino also has made a number of cameos in a bunch of Disney-related projects. So uh, he was uh, in the movie Tomorrowland. Um, I don't remember exactly where, but he does make uh, an appearance in the film Tomorrowland because he did do the uh, score for that as well. But in addition to that, he is a stormtrooper in The Force Awakens. Ooh. As well... Um, as well as playing, which let's think like think about it. that's JJ Abrams and JJ likes to have his friends in all of his films. So that makes sense to me. Um, he plays the same stormtrooper in Ralph Breaks the Internet. Oh, very cool. And then, of course, then he actually plays a different stormtrooper in the Rise of Skywalker because, again, directed by J.J. Abrams. So I thought that was kind of a fun thing too that he was uh, played a number of cameos in a, a bunch of different projects.
0: That's very cool. I did not know that, um, but I I agree. It was a perfect choice to not pick someone who has directly composed some of those iconic um, spy films, but someone who can take a derivative of that. And I think. That really is what we get with Michael Cicchino's score, which the Incredibles takes place during the 1960s. And the, at least the, you know, there's sort of flashbacks to previous eras, but um, the, to get the sound right, um, Michael Cicchino recorded on analog tapes, um, which also helps for a better brass sound, but it also provided a little bit more of an authentic sound for the film, which was very cool. That's That was the level of, or that was the depth that Michael went to to get the sound for this film just right. And because of that, it was nominated for a Grammy for Best Score. It was nominated for a Critics' Choice Award, Here he was, for Best Composer. And it did win an Annie Award for Best Music in an Animated Feature Production. Um, there were no songs that are sung in this that actually comes in the incredibles too, but are there any songs or thoughts you have about the score as a whole
1: this is one of my favorite scores to be perfectly honest it's so much fun through and through the you know the the main title is like you know, like that's why i was even going Da-da-da-da-da. like it's just yeah. it's so fun so catchy It's right off the bat So thoroughly enjoyed. I would say some of my favorite ones is the hundred mile dash. It is super fun. Um the, the sequence with uh you know dash being chased by uh, the bad guys. <laughs> To the end of the film, um, always like that. Um, and then, um, the could actually the credit, sequ- you know, the credit sequence at the very end to the very end. Um, it's like, I like when I heard that, all I knew was I wanted the sequel, like, I just wanted more. Like, it that's like, I was like, oh yeah, this is like, this is getting like, this is getting going, like, this is just like, this is just getting started. So that to me, was, I would say the, the main standouts, but I love this score so much, like through and through, it's just so, so well done.
0: Yeah. I'll agree with you about glory days. Um, the in credits, I, I, all three Michael Giacchino scores in the early Pixar years have clever names for the credits. So it's the in credits end credit Twoies, and up with the end credits, um, <laughs> for those three films. Um, you have a little bit of a teaser for what's coming up. Uh, <laughs> so other than that um the only other one i'll add to this i have a few but is uh, i'll make just one more mention is life's incredible again and the reason i really like this one is when i listened back to it and i compared it to the montage it is written like a 1960s sitcom theme interesting um it's a whole montage that happens but i almost could picture it as the opening credits for a 1960s sitcom
1: i love that sequence as well and you're not the only one that is the actually the most string song off of that soundtrack
0: really i would <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it would be glory days the opening
1: you would think so no um, as of now uh, uh and actually by a quite a large margin so that is the second most streamed song of uh just shy of 9.5 million streams But Life's, uh credible again is uh 14.4 million so not like a clo- like close by any means like a significant amount so which I think kind of makes sense because it's like it, it, it's it, it's it's fun like I said it's like a very sitcom so it's like very you know, so it's, it's very happy, very go lucky. So I can understand that, but it really is quite fascinating.
0: Very interesting. Um, Well, that pretty much sums up The Incredibles. I mean, there's, uh, other than the fact that Michael Giacchino rocks, when it comes to developing the score, uh, there's not too much else to mention about the music. Um, it is very Giacchino style. That's pretty much all we can say that uh, about that. It'll come into the picture the other two scores that he develops are very 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 different um all three are very unique which is very cool but it's great to have this you know what began his tradition of this iconic michael cicchino sound with the incredibles um 2006 we get what i think is arguably the heavyweight champion of the early pixar years when it comes to music which is interesting because it's usually not the most the highest film on this list for a lot of people, um, is cars. Ka-chow. Um, ka cars. Now part of the reason for this, I think is because it plays into rock and roll history. So that's really why it's the heavyweight champion. It's not the original songs developed for the film, which are by the way, written by Randy Newman, but <laughs> it's, it's the, um, It's the rock and roll history that's present in cars and not just rock and roll, but country. There's there's just a ton of history in this film and a lot of songs. Um, The film was directed by John Lasseter. This was a project that John Lasseter was very passionate about. Um, He it is very personal for him, too, from a lot of his early road trips as a kid cross country. Um, And also directed, co-directed by Joe Ranft, who is the voice of some Pixar characters. And um, we're going to maybe talk about another film, but um, uh, I don't know. There's actually going to be this one that we're going to talk about it. I'm just going to run through the set list real quick because there's, there's a lot of very iconic songs in here. Um, So first is, it's actually one of my favorite songs from the film and I'm not, country is probably like the lowest on my list of genres that I listen to not an insult uh, not meant to take offense to country music listeners it's just not it's just not my my um my number one music genre do I like listening to country sure but it's usually not top of my list that being said real gone um is my probably my favorite song from this film from the the lyrical song perspective performed by Sheryl Crow and co-written with John Shanks There's also Route 66 performed by Chuck Berry, Life is a Highway, um, which was made famous by Rascal Flats and performed by Rascal Flats in this film, Behind the Clouds, which was performed by Brad Paisley, co-written with Frank Rogers, Shaboom performed by The Clouds. There's a Route 66 credit version performed by John Mayer, My Heart Would Know makes an appearance in the film that's performed by Hank Williams, Find Yourself, another Brad Paisley song and an original song that was written by randy newman but not sung by randy newman called our town this one was performed by james taylor who is an icon and six-time grammy award winner uh he was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and his greatest hits album is diamond certified with over 12 million copies sold um and this song i love our town it's it's definitely one of the the best song and it was the one that won a Grammy for best original song in this film
2: long ago but not so very long ago the world was different oh yes it was you settled down and you built a town Watched it grow. It was your town. Time goes by, time brings changes, you change too. Nothing comes. see you.
1: more deep dive in the cars than i did which is ironic because it's the one that actually has like something in the rock most
0: music history, most history. <laughs> <And> <laughs> i did tell you i did text you you, you did, did but, text you,
1: know, you. But, but that's the thing too right is like you know we were talking about before is uh you know we would we would come like, we don't tell each other what we're actually researching but we tell it give our we do compare notes a little bit ahead of time but i knew when you were like oh we're gonna deep dive into co- uh into cars i'm like okay cool like you could do the deep dive of the cars <laughs> <laughs> I'll focus some I'll gonna find some of the more, you know, uh, other areas. I was really trying hard to find things that I didn't think you would be researching into.
0: That's fair. Um, before we get to the uh, you know some of my favorites, I want to hear yours.
1: I mean, I really like "Life Is a Highway." I'm not a huge country fan either, but that's such a song—a uh, fun song. It's like a it's perfect road up- trip song. Perfect road trip song. You know, it's a great way to you know to start off the film on. So I uh, always thoroughly enjoyed that one. I would say that would be a good one. like the score of this film too to be perfectly honest like yes lot the original songs are are great and are perfect for the atmosphere and really you know uh, I would I think it's uh, arguably said that this is probably one of the uh, most or no, I'd say original songs but most uh, sung songs out of any of the Pixar films is that would that be correct to say
0: Uh, probably
1: yeah I'm trying to think of any of the other
0: ones that might have more than that I don't think so I have to yeah. I haven't gone that far ahead
1: but i also really like the score that randy newman did too on this one yeah i think it was a great blend of you know uh, of country but also still has that you know that that pixar style to it that now we're knowing and loving that's really been honed in by randy newman
0: yeah um i i also love the randy newman score uh other than Real Gone, Life is a Highway, I agree. Mike is, is one of my favorites from this album. I mentioned Our Town, um, which was the one that received a, won a Grammy. I That song is also a really fantastic song. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite um, Pixar score songs, period, is McQueen and Sally. That's also the song that's played for your Radiator Springs Racers fans like me in the beginning of Radiator Springs Racers it's as you're great. going up. It's just, yep. it's, and it's, it captures that feeling that you get on the attraction and that is captured in the film and the purpose of it, which is just to enjoy the beauty, the serenity and the moment. And it really captures that really perfectly. It's a very carefree type of song. Um,
1: that's definitely the song that I want to to play when i'm on a dr- on a road trip with the windows down and you know getting that fresh air coming into the cabin and that's you know that's the song i want to be played
0: and it's such a catchy um guitar melody mm-hmm. in it too um i don't know what type of guitar it is that's for something you could probably tell me we'd have to go back and listen to it um i don't know if it's acoustic it's not an electric but
1: like no it's acoustic
0: yeah but uh, i don't know if there's a particular what... type um,
1: yeah i can't tell you right off the bat
0: yeah but it's it's that the choice of guitar was also very appropriate. Um it came across as uh very country at the same time. Um so it it was a really perfect choice. A few fun facts about this one. So I mentioned director Joe Ramft. He's worked on other Pixar films as well. He voiced Red in which not a big role. Red doesn't say very much. He's a very shy character, but um the crying that Red does so he voiced that and Joe actually passed away in 2005. The film debuted in 2006. so That's why he gets a little bit of a um, tribute in the end credits.
2: Mm.
0: Um, Paul Newman and George Carlin, so they're both in this film, both very, I mean, iconic actors. Very interesting that they both passed away around the time that Cars came out as well. And... It was for both of them with such iconic and, you know, huge careers. It was their highest grossing film of their careers for both of them. Real, for both of them? For both of them. Wow. Um, and I said this was a, a heavyweight in Pixar's early years. It was the first Pixar soundtrack to achieve gold certification and is now considered platinum. Wow. That's Amazing, so it's a really power player, really big power player in Pixar's early years and in general for Pixar music. Um, but I guess that's all we'll say about cars because
1: one more thing that I noticed too that yeah. uh, fun little thing that, um, because I just watched uh cars like a day or two as well, and uh, the end credits because uh, you were you were talking about oh yeah John Rastenberger and yeah. so he plays Mac of course in in cars and then there's a drive-in scene at the end where they're watching and it's it's literally uh scenes from prior pixar films but as cars and but the, it's exactly saying the same lines but it's all the john ratzenberger scenes so so he likes so you back saying like oh that's a really good actor and like oh that's you know oh, that's really cool good too and then at the end he's like wait a minute they're just using the same guy
0: every single time it's <laughs> really funny thing. what kind of cut rate production is this <laughs> There <you> go.
1: <laughs> so I, I always appreciated that that was that was really funny
0: um yeah, I, I, you, it's funny. I actually was thinking that and it slipped my mind, but I appreciate you mentioning it because it, it did come up in my head as well. Um, man, we have, we've we been talking for almost two hours. We still have three films to go, but <laughs> it just goes to show how much there is to talk it's about a Pixar. This is just the first 10 films. I mean, we, this is longer yeah. than our Disney Renaissance episode. It's um, true. So the next one's my favorite. It's Ratatouille. This came out in 2007. It was directed by Brad Bird and Jan Pinkova. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so apologies there. But the score was composed by Michael Giacchino, and I want, you know, for all of you listening to your homework, go listen to the scores for The Incredibles, Ratatouille, and Up. All Michael Giacchino, all very different. Um,
1: Very. I was actually very surprised when I went went back. I'm like, oh, that's right. I I didn't remember. Like, I forgot that he did, you know, the scores for these films, because you're right. They're so different than what he normally does.
0: Yeah, the range of genres that he can write is really incredible um for the feeling of this film there are some cliche elements um that are incorporated into the score it's a it is intentional um it's really meant to draw on a lot of the parisian romanticism um there's Uh, French jazz manouche, which is one genre that pops up. There's folk pop. There's the traditional sounds of Parisian cafes. You get a lot of like accordion, violin, jazz guitar, piano, clarinet, very like almost cliche French instruments, but adds a lot to the sound of this film. But Brad Bird's direction for Michael was to express the taste of food with music. And we get that and more with this, but especially there's the sequence where, and I was watching the film yesterday. It's actually one of Maggie's favorite movies too, which is great because I get to watch the movie. Yeah, a lot. I was
1: gonna say that's that's really convenient. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I didn't, I never pressure her to like one thing or another. She just kind of picks. So I was very happy she really likes Ratatouille right now. Um, but the scene where Remy has Emil taste food in a new way. They visually represent food, and if you listen to Mother Way, and Michael Chikino wrote the score at that point of the film, it's meant to try to express that taste too. Um,
1: Again, like the different combinations of things and putting them together, he'll have different sounds and then put the sounds together as well.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I do have, before we get to the the score itself, um, I do have some fun facts. One of them is specifically for you, Mike, because it took me until two three years ago maybe less than that to realize this do you know who does the voice of Skinner
1: oh I've heard his voice so many times but I don't remember off the top of my head who the actor is
0: I I, this is why it took me so long I had I didn't hear his voice this way at all um it's Ian Holmes who is um Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings
1: Oh my gosh. Really?
0: Yeah. Wow. But that he takes on a like very good all. French accent. No, I know it's it it doesn't sound like him at all, but it's it's Ian Holmes. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, you gotta be kidding. I when I went and actually looked at the cast and I connected that. Um that, again, it was only like a year or two ago that I connected that, um, which was really interesting. So that was my fun fact for Mike. Uh here's number two. I3. have three. Um in France the movie broke the record for the biggest debut of an animated film.
1: Somewhat not surprising but also really surprising at the same time. Yeah. You would think like a, a film based, based on French culture they would probably like
0: scoff at it. Scoff Especially at it. developed like, by Americans. But by,
1: it... by Americans of all things. I mean like hey that that just shows to show how well they made ratatouille
0: yeah it's so, a love letter to paris It's it really definitely is. a love. yeah that's the yeah. thing it's,
1: like, it's a very much a love letter to uh paris and the french culture about you know their you know their their love for food and so forth but still like it you know again like it's, it's being done by an outsider so um that's a, that's actually
0: amazing and number three uh the main dish that is in the film of course the film is called ratatouille and the main dish that is served is ratatouille but it is not traditional ratatouille. So what um, Anton Ego flashes back to from his childhood, that is a traditional ratatouille stew, the way that's prepared. Obviously most parents in the suburban town are not gonna prepare like Remy does um, in a gourmet kitchen, but the name of that variation dish is called, I'm gonna pronounce the second word incorrectly, but it's called feet Bialdi. Um, I don't know. That is kind of an interesting fact. Like, Oh, it's Ratatouille, but no, it's, it's called feet BLD. Uh, so it's, I don't know. I, I, I thought that would be an interesting, fun fact to share. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. So I think I went from most interesting to least interesting in that list, but here we go. With-
1: <laughs> I'm just hungry.
0: <laughs> I am too. Um, this did win a Grammy for best score soundtrack album. Um, it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Score. It also won Michael Giacchino, Another Annie, for Best Music in an Animated Feature Production. The only song that's sung in the film is La Festine, which is performed by Camille, who's a French singer.
2: comme le bon de la
0: joie bien. That's all I know about Camille, though. Yeah, I much, uh, to French music I a lot. To,
1: yeah, I, I, I really didn't see much else on that, but I did. But like you mentioned about Les- Left the Scene, um, which is about his uh, Remy's dreams of becoming a chef. Um, I did learn that. Um, I also did notice, too, that Michael Giacchino did have a lot of depth to the score as far as the themes between uh, the characters. Especially with Remy, there's actually a couple of themes for Remy, not just even one. Where a lot of times you have soundtracks where the theme... Of a character will have some sort of variations to it, but for the most part are going to be, you know, uh, very similar where this is they, he has a couple of themes for Remy where one's about him with the rat colony, but then other, another one about his hopes and dreams, which we were talking about literally before about the dichotomy between, you know, his responsibilities to his friends and family and chasing his dreams. So I thought that was very interesting that he took that type of an approach. Um, but also there's a buddy theme between, uh, Remy and Laguini, which uh, of course makes sense for many reasons. So, uh, I just really liked, you know, the depth of, of the score of this particular film.
0: Yeah. I love this score. Um, and, Maggie also loves the score, which I'm very happy about because there are mornings I, I've gotten this tradition. You get a family history when you listen to the show, too. I started a tradition with Maggie um, in the mornings um, that when she wakes up, you know, I can usually see and hear on the baby monitor when she wakes up um, or when I want her to wake up. So it's to not like barge in and turn on a light. Not that a lot of parents do that. I wanted her to have like a pleasant start to her day. So I started playing um, soft Disney music or just soft music in general um on her amazon device in the room um and i one day played ratatouille and she's like oh what's this and i said oh this is ratatouille the music from remy's movie and she's like oh and then there's sometimes and now she's able to to pick it out when i put it on she's like oh you know ratatouille remy and i said yeah that's that's right um and now she'll sometimes request it um to listen to like oh no like i'll put something else she's like no ratatouille and i'm like okay we'll listen to ratatouille um i love the score so i'm really happy that she loves the score too we'll see how long that lasts (laughs) i'm enjoying these moments while she's you know about two years old um do you have any you mentioned i'm so glad you did your homework on the themes um between that makes a lot of sense are there any particular songs from the score that you like
1: Uh, not necessarily off the top of my head. I mean, I think Love is Seen is a very beautiful song, so I thoroughly much enjoy that. Um, But yeah, this is another one, too, that, you know, sometimes it's really hard to have something that stands out because it's just... I feel sometimes that the best music are the uh, are sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes are the ones where you don't even really are recognizing the music for how amazing it is. You're, it's just a part of the entire film experience.
0: Do so, you feel that way about John Williams? Sometimes. I was going to say, there's there's some exceptions, I think, to that rule. There's some I exceptions to that. John I mean, Williams' it, music makes the film sometimes.
1: It does. But if you're talking about I mean, I, I, this might get sort of controversial. Like, for example, if you're talking about like you know the Force Awakens, like Ray's theme, if I didn't really think hard that that's, that's true theme, yeah. I'm not really gonna think about it too much, right? Um, so uh, those elements. But I mean, if you're talking about like you know Star Wars fanfare, how can you not, right? Yeah. Well, there there are definitely certain moments where that that they are really big standouts, but then there are other moments too that you don't even realize is happening, and I think both. Are equally challenging and also equally important. I'll put it that way. So, you know, for example, kind of going back for a second um, to some of the other films. Right to me, a standout would be like The Incredibles. It's just you know you can hear like you can hear it in your head like right away as soon as the you know so the title sequence comes up. Right to me, that's a very much a standout. You know, but there's also a lot of other films where it's just like absolutely beautiful, gorgeous music. But it's it plays more you know, you know uh, as a as an underlayer, if you will, to what is going on in the scene instead of being on the forefront. And again, both are very important and very challenging for its own sake. So for a film like Ratatouille, I usually find it's more of that underlayer that's em- emphasizing the scene rather than being in the forefront.
0: That's fair. Um, well, I have seven. I'm not going to... <laughs> <laughs> I would
1: hope so, being your favorite.
0: I'm not going to play all of them. I will list them, um, and I'm going to play one of them. Um, so Souped Up, which is when Remy's creating the soup, it sort of captures that excitement of discovery and invention. Colette shows him the ropes, um, which is just fun and peppy when he's showing Linguini, when she's showing Linguini how to cook, uh, which is really really showing Remy how to cook. Uh, Dinner Rush, which just packs in a lot of emotions. It's like suspense, and then there's resolve. Um, <laughs> Anyone Can Cook, which accompanies one of my favorite scenes when Anton Ego... Reads his review of Cousteau's, his updated yeah. review of Gustos. Um, it's a very resolved type of That's piece, resolution type of piece. Um and Ratatouilles, we mentioned. I uh, like the the medley at the end and um the ratatouille main theme. Um I really enjoy. But my favorite is Wall Rat. Um, this is my favorite from the film because it starts off with Remy being in this point of despair he's just lost his family He's doesn't know where he is um, but then he goes to discover and you can actually hear Remy running in the music Michael Giacchino does a great job of writing the music and particularly I think the flute in such a way that it does kind of, you could picture a rat running um, but then my favorite part is the end because this is where I think this is Michael Giacchino's love letter to Paris it's when Remy emerges on the rooftop and gets this grand dusk view of Paris. And I think it really does capture that feeling that a lot of people have seeing Paris for the first time, especially with a view like that. Um, So this is my favorite one from the film.
1: Choices. I like all all those.
0: Yeah. So that's all I have for Ratatouille, and we should probably keep going because we still have two films to go. Two films to go. Yep. I should have done these six at a time instead of ten. Um, but we're gonna keep going. So number nine is Wally. Comes out in 2008. Directed again by Andrew Stanton, and we bring back Thomas Newman to compose the score with one original song down to earth, co-written and performed by Peter Gabriel. Mm -hmm. Otherwise all the songs in here are from, um, other films or from, uh, other sources, I should say. They're not original pieces, but were inserted into this film. Um, two from hello, Dolly put on your Sunday clothes and it only takes a moment Mm-hmm. La Vie Rose, performed by Louis Armstrong. Um, also spruck Zarathustra, which is a classic piece made famous in 2001 a Space Odyssey. And similarly, same movie, um, The Blue Danube is another one.
1: Which uh, is not the first time they used that, by the way, if you know that they also used it in, in one other film. Is it
0: Toy Story 2? That's right. Okay, good
1: <laughs> it's the part um the part where um you know buzz um is on Zerk's planet and it, yeah and the video game like, da, would be da, da, and then- i knew da. i
0: heard it in somewhere yeah. else that's so why i stuck out like i think it's toy story Two. Mm-hmm. um that's a good good piece of trivia that i've missed it uh all right mike wally what do you think
1: this is my favorite I mean I love I love Wally to death um it's it's so, um music wise especially it's just gorgeous gorgeous soundtrack. I um, also want to mention a couple things too about some of these uh aspects. Uh, one Thomas Newman they they brought him back specifically on how well Stanton and Newman were a team in finding Nemo So when Stanton came back to That's direct wally they wanted you know they they realized that they paired very well with each other and you know obviously it was a great match once again for wally specifically so they brought him back for that reason one other thing uh fun uh little fun facts on the side is that uh his uh thomas newman's uncle lionel actually worked on hello dolly no way yep and it's uncle, it's not even, it's not even Randy Newman's father. It's another, it's a like, it's Randy and Thomas's uncle from, you know, so they had a big family. So I was trying to understand the lineage and how it all worked, but yeah. So he, um, so he actually worked on uh, the music for hollow Dolly. So wow, kind of interesting all decades later that now it's being used in, um, his nephew's film.
0: <laughs> That's very
1: cool. What a small world, right? So, um, and I thought I thought the Hello Dolly song, both a mill, only he takes a moment and put on your Sunday clothes, was just such a great dichotomy. It's such a great contrast to, um, you know, to the world that Wally is in right now. Of you know, this is where Planet Earth is. Is like you know, distraught and abandoned, and having these fun, happy-go-lucky songs of a you know of a a very past time. I thought was just very. It was a combination of very. Um, emotionally warming, but also very emotionally eerie at the same time.
2: Out there, there's a world outside of Yonkers, way out there beyond this hick town, Barnaby. There's a slick town, Barnaby. Out there, full of shine and full of sparkle. Close your eyes and sit. Listen, Barnaby. Listen, Barnaby. Put on your Sunday clothes, there's lots of world out there. Get out the brilliant teen and dime cigars.
0: I felt yeah. Yeah, that's then, true. I
1: think that's the point. I think because it is a very much a social commentary. So I think that to me it had this this dual effect on me where um you know where it's you know it's it's a time that has that has been long gone and there's you know there's no humans left. So it it, it like this it was just definitely that sense of um of you know an uneasiness, if you will, because they chose specifically those songs and I really like that fact
0: yeah i do too i i i do think it adds to that the one the one that um i think plays really well into the the story is lovey and Rose um and the sequence that it takes part in um obviously a very romantic piece and um, there's a little bit of humor in there too i think but it 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 definitely plays off of that very well too um Music is really important in this movie because, and I think it's one of the things that Disney fans love about WalL. this is kind of qualifying this. Um, there's not really any, I'm not gonna say no, there's not really any dialogue for the first 40 minutes of the movie. And yeah. the only dialogue you do hear in the first 40 minutes, the most prominent is a BNL commercial um Mm -hmm. that's number one um so that that's a lot of dialogue but that really is not spoken by a live character so uh, you know it's it qualifies as dialogue that's why i can't really say there's no spoken dialogue but also too the only other thing you kind of hear are robot phrases and sounds um that are repeated uh like foreign contaminant like that things like that that like yes that's technically dialogue but is it
1: Really? <laughs> it's sort of. But yeah. the first forty minutes, so like you said, is like there's really no dialogue at all. And in fact, if you remember when that was that that was a big deal. That when before Wally came out, that was something that was mentioned. And it was like almost borderline controversial in a way that where they're like, How how is this gonna be like it was it was I don't say maybe necessarily controversial, but it was definitely a, very intriguing by everyone that said how, you know, you're going to tell a story basically almost as the equivalent of a silent film for the first 40 minutes. Yeah. So I remember that was definitely a major talking point of Wally right before it came out. And obviously, you know, it was amazing. But also, that was a challenge for Thomas Newman because he had write right score around that fact that there was no dialogue for the first 40 minutes of this film. So yeah. that was also a big challenge for him is to, to make a score that's going to work, you know, you know, especially in the in in this type of format, that's normally not the, going to be the case.
0: Right, it's it's true. Um, other than that, like the score is obviously it's a different take. Uh, on the or different sounds than Finding Nemo, it has some of the same atmospheric melodic uh qualities to it, but obviously a little bit different. Um, are there any? it didn't win any awards it was only nominated um which is still great but nominated for an academy award a golden globe critics choice award um all those for best original song did not win are there any songs from the score that you love
1: i really do like down to earth by peter gabriel i think that's Mm -hmm. a really great song at the end um i also really like define dancing me too yeah it's just a beautiful, sweet song and um and if I remember correctly, that is the same song that is in World of Color, if yes. I remember correctly. So yeah, yeah It uh, you know, great choice. Um but yeah, that's that definitely is one one of the ones that definitely stands out to me.
0: number one on my list i have a few that i like down here the only other one i'll mention which is a totally different sound to it is uh first date um because it's just it's a really funny song um it's like the oh, song, oh. oh that's right <laughs> yeah it's, yeah, it's song, when molly's just kind of like um towing eve along on their first date
1: <laughs> that's a really sweet song <laughs> it. it's
0: a very cute it's such a very cute song Obviously, film-wise, a lot is mentioned about Wally, but music-wise, I feel like that covers the highlights. Is there anything else that we're missing?
1: No, I think that covers actually everything for Wally.
0: Okay, so let's move on down the list to Up, which is uh-huh. the tenth film. I have to put puns in here. It's I'm working on my dad jokes. Uh, the last film in what we're what I'm calling Pixar's early years, but it's number ten. It came out in 2009. It was directed by Pete Docter. I told you he'd come up again. And Bob Peterson, um, who, by the way, was the voice of Doug. And uh, the score, again, I told you, homework, got same composer, Michael Giacchino, very, very different sounds. Um, he went from classic spy movies to romantic Parisian European jazz to vintage jazz and waltz um, from, like, old-timey days. So very distinct, different scores that are here, and it won um, for Best Original Score, an Academy Award, a Critics' Choice Award, a Golden Globe, and a Grammy.
1: Which, by the way, is the first for Pixar to win the Best Original Score. Michael Giacchino.
0: That's why we love Michael Giacchino. Not because he wins awards, but his music is that good. (laughs) It's like award-winning music. Um, There's I don't think any, I think Spirit of Adventure is the only song that has lyrics in it, um, which is at the end credits. It's a very like old timey jingle. It's one of my favorites too. Adventure
2: is out there, it's heading our way. So grab your scouts and goggles, let's fly. I've mapped out our journey, we're up here to stay.
0: But otherwise, Mike, what are your thoughts about the score? I should have started with that.
1: No, I I love the score as well. Um, I find it very interesting because this one was definitely uh, the focus of this one was to have a very character based score. So again, a different take for Michael Giacchino in that particular way. And that is definitely throughout. So you have like Munson's theme, which is a specific version in the very beginning of the film when they're showing um, where you have the, um, uh, uh, why am I blanking on names right now? The young Carl, like watching the movie theater and, you know, watching his, you know, his hero. And then it comes up later on. So, when you have, you know, themes for all the characters. L L of course has a, a theme as well. So I thought that was very interesting that he had a, Um, that was the different challenge for him was to develop themes for the different characters and make it very character based because that is what you know because Up is a very character based film
0: it is Um, Married Life I know you mentioned and I mentioned earlier is one of our favorite pieces it's probably one of the um, again another really iconic Pixar score or song so much so that it also is a song that you hear walking down Main Street USA these days It's a variation of that, but uh, there is a Married Life song that plays when you were walking down Main Street USA because it captures that, again, that old-timey era um, from turn-of-the-century America theme very well. Um, That one is is a really great song. Are there any others from the list for you, Mike?
1: Nothing that really stood out for me on that particular one. Was there a couple for you?
0: I have seven, Mike. I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) just... (laughs) <laughs> of course you do maybe you should be
1: in the music industry i don't know
0: <laughs> i can't i mean i, I just have a fan i'm just a fan um so i'm not going to list all of them i will go with two more one is i mean married life is an emotional sequence but a more emotional sequence with a more emotional song is stuff we did as the name of the song yeah. Um, where Carl is running through his album with Ellie to discover there's a little, um, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this, a little epilogue she left for him um, and the note that she left and the feeling that he has in that moment. But it is such a like, it's one of those songs that is incredibly quiet and powerful at the same time. That's something that you talk about being in the music industry. I don't know how you do that, but I know it when I hear it. <laughs> um, it's true. So.
1: And you have the other one that that is actually the second most streamed song. Um, number one is Is Married Life, which.
0: Yeah, that's not surprising. Sense. It's not surprising at all. Yeah. Um, the other one on a more positive note is the Ellie badge. Um, so this takes on a very similar theme, but it is with a happier tone to it. And you can hear that Stuff We Did is a very um, bittersweet song. I don't want to call it sad because it's a very positive moment, um, but also represents some lost time um, and Carl moving on. Then the Ellie badge is Carl carrying forward him being a steward of Ellie's legacy and that being a very happy thing. Um, So it takes on a very similar theme, but with a happier tone to it. transformed character. He has his own character arc in this film, which I very much like. Um, so those I'll call out as honorable mentions, um, but there's, I've got, I've got seven on here up with titles. I'll, I'll end in a very positive one. It's very like fun and yeah. a very clever name that Michael Giacchino gives the song again. Um, but up with credits, I'm uh, sorry, up with titles and then up with end credits uh, up with titles is very fun. Old timey intro. So mm-hmm. I like that one too.
1: Those are all good choices as well.
0: All right. We ran through 10 films that only took two and a half hours. Is yeah, there anything odd. else that we are? Well, I have some some final questions for us to discuss, Mike. And mm-hmm. thanks for sitting with me for this amount of time.
1: Oh, but, getting, I can't believe it's been two and a half hours.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um. So first question I have for you is now that we have thoroughly discussed these 10 soundtracks, which of the 10 is your favorite?
1: For soundtracks specifically?
0: Yes, not films. Soundtracks. Toy Story 2. See, I told you. I made the argument in the very beginning. Toy Story 2 is the one. Um, I'm not going to say Ratatouille. I really shouldn't.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, pick something else.
0: I'll say Cars.
1: Cars is a good one too.
0: Um, I think I made my own argument that Cars Cars was the heavyweight champion of this one. Um, Maybe followed closely by Monsters, Inc.,
1: that's yeah. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to pick sometimes which ones like. But, but to me, like uh, as far as like what I get most excited. I, I mean, Toy it even Incredibles. Like, ah, oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Sometimes really hard. But I'll, I'll I'll I'm gonna stick with Toy Story too. I'm just gonna yeah. stick with
0: that. That's a that's a really good answer. Um, second question. Now that we have discussed this thoroughly, we usually have some sort of recap. We recap the Disney Renaissance films. We recap the Disney Revival era films. So, how would you encapsulate or summarize the early Pixar years from '95 to 2009? Specifically, thinking about the music, I... Randy Newman. Two words.
1: <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> I was. Just shy of eleven years old when Toy Story came out, I still remember seeing that in theaters for the very first time.
0: That's awesome. I just remember the Happy Meal toys because I was oh my
1: gosh, the Happy Meal games too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was so different, and and I knew what I was seeing was very special. And it's just amazing to see how many hard hitting, like how many incredible stories that were told in those first ten films. Like there's not a single one that I that out of that list that I don't have a an emotional connection to. From everything from the visuals to the acting and of course the music itself. And that in itself. Is a very special thing. And just goes to show how talented and passionate the Pixar team was in this early days. And yeah, it's also true to to today as well, of course. But especially those those first ten films were just massive successes one after another after another. And to catch lightning in a bottle like that, you know, being in 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 creative. I always like to say this is that there are so many things that have to go right to make it a success. And there's very little that, that could go wrong for it to be a complete failure. Yeah. And to have that many in a row like that is, is something very unique and something very, very special. And um, that's something that I've always admired about these films is, and they're all like, you know, think about it too. Out of all those, only one of them was a sequel. Only one. Out of those ten, all the rest of them were original stories.
0: Yes, that a few of them got sequels, which will. Oh yeah, so there. that's yeah. later. No, no, I know. But you're talking about what what is considered those a first, sequel in these first ten? Yeah.
1: Those first those first ten. So that's what it that's what it means to me.
0: Yeah, I obviously love these films as well. My favorite one is in these first 10, but the interesting thing, I think looking at the trajectory of the early years is it started with music being just a part of the story. But if you watch and you listen to these films in succession, the first four all sounds uh, classic Pixar. They're all Randy Newman. They all, yes, they have some slight differentiations. I think Monsters, Inc. may be the most unique, but those first four are all very XR. It's like the same sound, just with slight mm-hmm. different tweaks for different storylines. And then all of a sudden, starting with Finding Nemo, music became as important to the story as Disney's music became to some of its most successful movies where each film has its own unique sounds that is a partner to the storyline in a more meaningful way and you know that carries us through Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wall-E and Up very unique when you stand on your own. I mean you could arguably get if you if you didn't know the score well enough you could probably get a song from a Bug's Life confused with Monsters Inc or with Toy Story 2. Green. Like they yeah. they do have very They're similar very sounds similar. but you you Absolutely. cannot confuse a Ratatouille song with a Wally song or with um, a car song or finding, like they all are very, very unique, you know, instantly because of how it's, it it captures the story, what movie it came from. So for me, that's the the growth that came from the music specifically in those Pixar early years. And that sums up our thesis. (laughs) I hope the listeners are still with us. Uh, so I think we should just end it here. But um, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me for another episode. And this just leads us to more topics to discuss, which I'm very excited about.
1: Yep. I can't wait to see to talk about what's next.
0: Yeah. What would you like to be next?
1: I mean, do you want to just do the next, the, the next uh, run of
0: Pixar films? And we kinda- can, we can go to star Wars. Ooh. We can go to Avengers and Marvel. Oh man! I mean,
1: you're not pulling my leg on any any one of those three here. So, Lucasfilm with
0: Indiana Jones, perhaps. There's not a lot to talk about with Indiana Jones, but
1: I honestly, I, I'm like, I'm more than happy to talk about any of those. They're, yeah. they're all those will be so much fun.
0: Welcome back to Imagination Central. As you disembark, please remember to remain fully seated until the podcast comes to a complete stop. Then gather your belongings and watch your head in step as you exit. After you exit the episode, I encourage you to engage with the show by following Imagination Skyway on your favorite social media app And if you enjoyed this episode, or this two-part episode, please be sure to share it with anyone who might enjoy our discussion today, and consider leaving us a rating or a review in your favorite podcast app, which always goes a long way to help this show. If you're listening on Spotify or if you're already following us on social media, be sure to answer our question associated with this episode that you can find in a few of those social media channels, and our question today is for you to tell me your favorite soundtrack and song from the Pixar film we discussed in this episode which include finding nemo the incredibles cars ratatouille wally and up or just like part one if you can't pick one from each or one from all of them feel free to share a few of your favorites And be sure to explore Imagination Skyway on Patreon, either through the Patreon app or at Patreon.com, where you can enjoy some bonus content, including bonus podcast episodes, on-demand scenic audio that I record at the parks, and even more content for you to enjoy, plus a private community of listeners where we host weekly watch parties, small group video calls, and lots more fun and surprises along the way. Last but certainly not least, especially here at the top of the year, I want to remind you that achieving your dreams all begins with a little bit of self-belief, plan of action, and a bit of inspiration. And it is always possible if you are willing to put in the time, the energy, and the work to make your dreams come true. Thank you so much for riding aboard Imagination Skyway. And remember, if we can dream it, we can do it.